My purpose is to make everyone around me the best version of themselves through problem solving, communication, and helping you maximize the utility of your resources, your time, energy, and money. Purposeful Story Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs, drivers, and social impactors who use purpose as the driver to achieve greatness. My name is Kobe Mponsa, and I'm here to provide you with priceless value that will last a lifetime. So let's get right into it. All right, so today we have Tony Awujadu also known as Doc Tone. He is a high-performance coach who helps motivated impactors, you know, reach their full potential to make a shift in the world. And in turn, he also helps people build generational wealth and live their best lives. He's worked with hundreds of professionals, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. I actually came across Tony's piece on Instagram where he was talking about generational wealth. And it stuck out to me a lot because... Many people will talk about generational wealth and, and they'll say it's important, but they won't break down the why of why it's important. I mean, he did a really good job of explaining that and it was relatable as well. So, Tony, Thank thanks for coming on the show today. Of course, of course. So, it was interesting when you uh, uh, get in contact with people who um, have either seen stuff that you put out or, you know, have uh, studied you or followed you. And I was mentioning earlier, I love how, uh, you know, agile we've been as a society and, and been able to kind of you know, flex and, and change the way that we work together through this pandemic. Um, and social media has been a really cool way to see that manifest. So oftentimes people will say, oh, I loved when you said that. And, um, you know, you really did a really good job of breaking down this. And honestly, I have a moment. I'm like, when did I say that? Where did I say that? Which video are you talking about? Because I just try to share my life and share my story. And none of this is scripted. And none of this is like, you know, the 12-step process you have to follow to do this or not. Um, but you know, it, it is genuine, it's organic. And I just, um, I love when people find nuggets in, in me just telling my story because that's all I could do tell my story, you know? So yeah, thanks for inviting me. Really, really impressed. Um, what you've developed with this podcast. I'm excited to see it, you know, take off and do even more impact than it's already done. So yeah, let's dive in. All right, let's, let's get into it. So I like to always start off, you know, right now in this moment, how are you feeling? Feeling good. I mean, um, I, I like answering that question honestly. Uh, in the past, I'd always just say, "I'm good. Yeah, yeah, things are good." But uh, transparently, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> and um, I was explaining to a client. I don't see day, it. I don't, I don't even notice it. it. I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> it. I was expo- trying to explain the the feeling. So people understand stress, and people understand trauma, which typically happens after stress. But the feeling that I have right now is like it's post stress, but it's not trauma. It's just that feeling of like combination of being overwhelmed, fatigued, but excited and anxious about what, what happens next. My wife and I just closed on our dream home. We've been working on this for like a year plus. I see so, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The past week has just been hectic. So if you ask me that question in a few days, uh, I'm hopeful that the answer will be energized and ready to you know, continue kicking butt. But um, yeah, I'm a little overwhelmed and, and just uh, taking it all in. You know, it, it's, it's a positive thing to be overwhelmed sometimes. Sure. For sure. And Thanks Tony, for asking. How, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. I always say that, 
I'm blessed and I'm just out here trying to take advantage of my blessings. So that's, that's definitely the way I see it. Love it. So Tony, I want to start from the, the, the beginnings. Where were you born and raised? Uh, yeah, born and raised in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, about 45 minutes from Washington, D.C. Um, when I say raised, I was there until I was, what, 22? Yeah, about 22 before I went off to grad school uh, in Virginia. So, yeah, I'm a D.C. boy. I love go-go. Um, I love uh, mambo sauce with my fried chicken. Um, yeah, I, I just I love all things DMV, and that's where we're back home now. Got you. And, and growing up in that environment, were you surrounded by a lot of entrepreneurs? And your, your background is Nigerian. Were you, yeah. were you born, you were born in, in, in the States, correct? Yeah, yeah, born and raised uh, around D.C. My parents were born and raised um, to some degree in uh, Nigeria, both uh, right outside of, uh, outside of Lagos. Uh, came here in the 70s for school, for college, met at Howard University, and decided they wanted to raise their kids in Montgomery County, so moved about um, I think I said 45 minutes earlier. It's actually more like 25 minutes outside of D.C. So, um, yes, I am Nigerian, uh, but happened to be born and raised in, in the States. And my parents uh, were born and raised there back home. Uh, got you. And what was it like being raised in a, in a Nigerian household? Because, you know, and I, I'm sure you know this as well. The most of the black billionaires come out of Nigeria. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think there's there's something to that. Why do you think you know, that is the case. Yeah. You know, and I uh, realize now I didn't answer your question about entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur and I didn't realize that until I became an adult and realized that there was something outside of my full-time job I could be doing. And my dad always had full-time jobs too, but he started a couple businesses, successful businesses um, that run architecture and, and had a construction management company too. And I remember him driving me around DC and he'd point out houses. There's one particular house I remember because it was ugly. It was terrible. It was like a yellow house on the corner in DC. And I'm sure it's probably worth like four or five million right now. But I, you know, he would turn to his houses and say, I built that. And I didn't realize at the time that that was entrepreneurship. I just thought my dad was cool. Um, but I actually wasn't surrounded by a lot of entrepreneurs. Outside of my dad, I can't think of many, um, you know, uncles, aunties, older cousins that actually chose the, the path of entrepreneurship. So now that I'm on it, uh, I'm even more appreciative of my dad and his grind. Um, to answer your question directly about success and, and what you might attribute to the Nigerian culture, um, you know, Ghanaians are, are in, in many ways similar to Nigerians in terms of, you know, the respect we have for elders, for older people in our family, the importance of family, the importance of our, you know, religion and spirituality, regardless of which one you choose to follow. Um, the idea that excellence is required, right? You, you can't allow your children to be worse off than you are. So this notion of always being better because my children represent the future. Tomorrow is the future. So why on earth would I be worse off tomorrow than I was today or yesterday? So, I mean, I think a lot of those attributes or principles um, are true in both of our cultures. Um, there might just happen to be more Nigerians in America or in the world than Ghanaians. So I don't think there's anything uniquely distinctive about Nigerians, but I will say that corner of the world. And transparently, I have a lot of friends who are Indian and Pakistani and Iranian, and their parents also came over to the States and they're they have very similar principles and very uh, similar success profiles. So I think there's something about a, you know, an immigrant struggle uh, that creates the drive in the next generation to be great uh, and not accept any less. And when you think about, you know, who we all are, you know, people, um, black and brown people in, in the United States of America, um, marginalized, underrepresented, uh, devalued, uh, criminalized, murdered, um, you know, we are 
you know, we are people who have gone through stress and trauma, um, and we all are, uh, in many ways, the children of immigrants, right? Because regardless of when our parents came over or which generation of parents, you know, most of us were taken from, you know, our land or had to flee our land, right? Because, uh, you know, something wasn't, you know, good or, or conducive to success around about that environment. So um, long-winded way of saying, I think the answer and the commonality is, um, you know, a drive to do better. And, and you know, th- we all have that drive. Um, and, and I think the question that I just you know, posed to you and, and all of your followers is, it's in you, right? So what are you going to do to bring it out? And I think the difference between me, I'm not going to speak for all Nigerians, but me uh, yeah. and a lot of people I happen to surround myself with is that I, I am consistently trying to find ways to add value uh, to the people, processes, things around me. I have this, you know, contagious desire to uh, make things better. And those things could be people, they could be projects, they could be organizations, they could be the world. And, you know, part of that is connected to, to most of that's connected to the drive to make tomorrow better for my children and my children's children. So hope I answered your question. That was a really good one. No, definitely. You definitely, definitely answered it, man. Um, I know when I went to Ghana for the first time, and I always bring this up on the podcast, the you know, entrepreneurship is, is, is part of life. It's just something that they have to do almost to make a living. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You go on the street, everybody is entrepreneurial, right? Everywhere you go, everyone's hustling. So that mentality, I think sticks with them. You know what I mean? Um, so I definitely yeah, agree sure. with everything you said. Yeah, it's very true. Now I want to ask, um, you're a coach yourself, but before you got into coaching, did you have a coach or mentor? Yeah, I um, I have a lot of coaches. I have a lot of mentors. I keep them around. Um, I told a group of people the other day that the most important investment one can make uh, is one in themselves, which I do consistently. Uh, the second most important investment one can make is one in their community. Now, your community could be your family, your team, your employer, your physical neighborhood, Um but I think part of coaching and part of mentorship is ensuring that you are investing in yourself, both monetarily and time and energy by surrounding yourself with people who could take you to the next level or help you get there. Uh, and then, you know, part of our responsibility is to you know, go back to my earlier point about the, the, the trauma around immigrants and the sons of, and daughters of immigrants and the drive they have. Um, part of that responsibility is to give it back to your community. And that's a phenomenally good investment because your community's likelihood of investing in you uh, is greater than other communities, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's uh, yeah, that's how I look at it. Well said, well said. Now, and, and I like that too because um, it's kind of a testament to the fact that your what you're telling people to do is what you're already doing yourself, right? Yeah. Just because you're a coach, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the fact that you shouldn't be getting a mentor yourself. Right. So you're, you're, you're preaching, but you're also practicing what you're preaching. So I respect that a lot. Yeah. And, and (laughs) I mean, be wary of people who who don't, right. It's easy to go out there and say, I can teach you something or I can do something or I could help you do something. Um, But if you look at that person and they're not actually doing it, um, you know, just be wary about any guidance or, or support they would offer you. And I've never thought about, you know, the marketing aspect of what I do when you're running a business, you've got to market, but I don't really draw a distinction between marketing and coaching because whether or not you decide to pay for it, my goal is to increase value in your life. 
right? I might do that by putting content out there that you can get and access and share and learn from and literally transform your life around. I don't need to pay you for it, but the difference between marketing and coaching to me is, is nominal. There really isn't one. And I think the reason is because I'm, I'm me. I'm going to show up the way that you see me and the way that um, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, naturally positioned to add value, um, you know, in, in, in all spheres. And, and part of that is, you know, saying that when I encourage you to do something, one of those things might be formalize a coach and enroll in one of my programs. Uh, I'm saying it because I know that that is what you need to get to the next level because I've done it. Right. And, um, yeah, investing in coaches and, and having mentors is, um, just incredibly valuable. And, and I never plan on not doing that. Yeah. That, that makes that makes a ton of sense for sure, for sure. And even you talk, touched on um, an, an individual being themselves. One of the past guests that I've had on my 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 um, podcast, he always I always bring this up because it's, it's a major gem. He says that the the first two letters in business is B U, right? And a lot of people lose sight it's of deep. sight of that, right? So it's a powerful, powerful message. That's deep. I might is that trademarked? I might need to borrow that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, take it away. It. Take it away. It. <laughs> so, you know, outside of your your coaching business, well, maybe not outside, but it's in conjunction with it. What sparked you, your interest to help high impactors build generational wealth? And then on top of that, why was your target high impactors? Like those are the people that you specifically target, correct? Yeah. Um, and you're asking very, very good questions because, you know, when people come to me, I work with a lot of professionals that um, aren't necessarily thinking about entrepreneurship. So a lot of the coaching I do happens to be for folks that are employed, happily employed and desire to stay employed and don't want to do, do things entrepreneurially, which is fine. Um, but a lot of entrepreneurs that do come to me, um, you know, they... Um, they the, the question is, how do I accomplish some goal or how do I take what I'm doing to the next level? Um, and I think what's you know most important about answering that question is tapping into who your audience is, right? Now, and if you don't know who you're serving, if you don't know who you want to serve, uh, if the people you're serving don't find value in what you're doing, or you're not transforming some aspect of their life, you're probably not going to get to the level that you described. So before we talk about numbers and impact and roles and recognition and, and, and all that, let's talk about you know, who it is that you're actually serving, understand that audience. And then, you know, build an offering that can uniquely serve that audience. I'm not in the business of taking money or time from anybody I work with. I'm in the business of sharing an experience that makes both, both of us better, right? So, so it's not a limited amount of energy that I got to carve out and, and give to you or a limited amount of money that, you know, you got to carve out and give to me. It's sharing an experience. There might be a transaction in that experience, right? But it's making you better. It's making me better. And we'll continue to elevate. So for me, you know, the intentionality around high performers was because I need to surround myself with people who desire to get to the next level, right? If you're an average performer or a poor performer, absolutely, I can help you, right? But if you don't want to be helped at the level that I know I can support people on, um, it, it's, not, it's not an investment in myself. So I might coach you, but even if you're paying me what I think my time is worth, if you're taking away from my energy... If you're making my network worse, um, if you're not going to be a good steward of what we discuss um, and uphold confidentiality and respect and, and hard work and discipline, that's terrible business, right? Because it's not an asset that it's not, it's not investing in something that, uh, you know, can, can build more for me and, and more around me. So incredibly important to uh, study your audience and, and, 
even if you don't formalize it in words that resonate for others, you should know who that audience is. And when I describe, you know, who I want to work with, um, it's not just who they are, it's what they desire to do, right? They're high performers that might just want to make a lot of money. That's not really my clientele. They're high performers that might want to get a certain role. That's not really my clientele. Like those things come with the territory, but the high performers I'm truly seeking to work with are those who want to change the world. And I don't take that lightly, change the world, build generational wealth, right? Because it has to go beyond you, right? We, I don't care if your life is the greatest ever. That's phenomenal. And I want you to enjoy that, but I do care about the people that come after you. So I want you to desire to build generational wealth uh, and three, live the life of their dreams, the life that they choose, right? So if there's a role out there that hasn't been crafted for you, then you've got to be okay moving away from that, even if there's a bunch of money or a bunch of impact, right? Because you've got to choose your own life and you've got to be in the driver's seat. And those are the types of high performers that I'd exclusively like to work with. Excellent. And I want to touch on one of your first points is when you touched on understanding your audience, right? You know that the famous quote that goes, if you're serving everybody, you're serving nobody. But what are some of the strategies that you work with your clients in helping them understand their audience? Yeah. So we're talking about business clients or kind of professionals, because I can answer the question for both, but there'd probably be different answers. Let's, let's go both. Let's go both. We got time today. Okay. All right, <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd say for, um, and the question is how do we help? What are some exercises that some of my clients can or do do to identify, you know, what or who their audience actually is. Right. Correct. Yeah. Cool. So um, I'll start, I'll start by talking about the businesses. Um, this one's a little bit more straightforward. Uh, you know, a business has to be, um, the foundation of a business is a product or a service, right? There needs to be something that you are exchanging, right? And if it's not a physical product or a service, probably isn't a business, right? There can't be a business around, you know, uh, two people, um, you know, living or existing on two different sides of the world with no interaction, no value created, no physical, tangible good, and no information um, transferred, right? You've got to build something that's either a product or a service. Now that product or service exists in markets, right? Now it doesn't have to be one market, right? The market for an iPhone has many, many, many different uh, components geographically, um, scale, corporate, private, individuals. So you just got to find at least one market that that product or service can exist in. Now what's a the market? There has to be supply and there has to be demand. You have the supply of that product or service. Now the demand is where your customer segment is, is where your, your targeted audience should be. Now, not everyone has a demand for my content, for my coaching, for my experiences, for um, my expertise, because not everyone wants to be the type of person I described earlier. But the way that you find that target audience is you think about, you study your audience, right? You spend a lot of time talking to people. When I was a consultant, I spent most of my time talking to the executives I was working with, more time on that than actually like technically solving the problem, right? Like I can build an Excel model overnight, I can, you know, crunch numbers really, really easily. I can put together a fancy framework with nicely formatted words that tell a compelling story. But if I'm not studying you and understanding what keeps you up at night, what makes you tick, what makes you more effective, what the people around you need to be doing or saying or thinking about uh, to improve your life, right? And life isn't just work life, your life in general. When you're happy and healthy and well, you know, everything you touch is gold or closer to gold. So you've really got to study your audience and then put feelers out there right? You might put together a framework that just doesn't work. You might throw out a product and trial it and it just flops. You might package your offering this way or that way and it just doesn't resonate. 
but you've got to, you know, put some things out there around that product or service in that market, right? So you've got to find a way to identify these people, whether you're, you know, doing targeted marketing or connecting to other existing markets or networks or, you know, asking your family and friends to spread the word, whatever, whatever it is, you got to trial, trial run some things, iterate and always improve. Now, um, your, your audience from a professional standpoint, I think it should manifest in two different ways. One is people that can create opportunities for you. Two is people who you rely on for work, right? Or vice versa, where there's like some codependence, you rely on them or they rely on you. Now the opportunity makers are important because you've got to find ways to convey your value and your desire to stay and grow if that is your desire to people who can actually open doors for you, right? Like walking through the door has got to be on your own merit, but sometimes there's some locked doors that need to be opened um, and they can only be opened by people who have the keys. And sometimes in large, bureaucratic, highly competitive um, organizations, those with the keys um, are the ones that are respected and have power and have influence and they're not all people in organizations. So um, study your organization and try to figure out who those sponsors might be. And that's what you need to create a product or service around, right? Now, people don't think about you know work as business, but the, the principles are the same. You are in a market, it's a talent marketplace. Um, your, your product or your service is your work product or your work, right? So, um, you know, target that to your audience and make sure they know that what, if they open doors for you, um, you will thrive, you will kill it because you're, you're creating distinctive products or services that make them better. And then the other cohort of people or people that you're mutually dependent on. Um, and then same, th- same principle applies, right? You, you've got to have personal conversations early and often right? At the end of the day, everyone wants to do good work because our incentives are structured to reward us financially. And some people like recognition or titles, but most people like finance. Um, the incentives are structured to reward us when we do good work, but it's hard to reward someone for how they make you feel, right? Now, the manifestation of good work, I think, comes when you make everyone around you feel good and actually better at what they're doing. But very few people focus on that. A lot of people focus on just doing good work, right? But I spend a lot of time having one-on-one conversations with, I don't care how junior or senior you are, I'm going to connect with you and try to find a way to help you and you can help me and we can build and we can build rapport. Why on earth would I jump into a, you know, quarterly operations review with a bunch of executives before we, you know, create some, some moments for us to connect and talk about our kids and talk about life and how the pandemic's been and did you watch this event or that event? So, um, you know, studying your audience and like actually caring about their success, their happiness, their effectiveness, um, you know, is the, the way that you do good business, either professionally or entrepreneurially. So again, you said we had time, so I'm giving you long winded answers, but I hope you appreciated that. (laughs) No, I I do. I do. And I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners do as well. And one thing I want to touch on as well, you know, with, with the shift with COVID, you know, the pandemic that we're in. What are some strategies that you that you have found work well that people sometimes overlook for someone to succeed in a professional corporate setting? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, I had this um, revelation during a meeting uh, this week, actually, and um, you know there were a group of directors, mostly my peers, that were on the phone talking about um, you know pretty priority topic for the entire organization we call our company the village. So it was a, a topic that was really going to, that is really going to change the way that the village does work. And, um, 
you know, two people uh, out of maybe 10 of, 10 of us were on video camera and I wasn't. And um, I think I still had my gym shirt on and it was just like one of those days where I woke up at like 6 a.m. and I was sprinting to get everything done. I just was not in the mood to, you know, video chat, right? I hadn't curled my hair. I, you know, didn't really want to, you know, put a smile on. I just wanted to take it in, do good work and, and do, be on video chat for tomorrow's call. But um, one of the people outside of my team actually made a comment he was like, um, oh, you know, I appreciate your leadership to my colleague um, by uh, presenting yourself on camera. And, and it just like, so first I was like, hold up, man, there's more than one leader on this call. I'm a leader. Call me a leader, too. It was that, you know, primal uh, instinct to, um, to seek uh, affirmation, to seek recognition, right? And I acknowledge that in the moment. And then I said, you know what? He has a point. Right. In, in previous days, we'd be together, you know, building rapport in person. I'd be able to fill out your body language, um, your energy. I'd be able to share that with you. Now, you know, we, we by nature of the world that we're in, we've got to find different ways to establish meaning, meaningful relationships with people so that can so that we can effectively work. And it takes a leader to be present and engaged on video, even when you don't have to. Right. So it was just a big takeaway for me. And that's one tactical example of something that you can do when you have the opportunity. If there's a leader on a call, you know, put your smile on, do your hair if you need to, you know, make sure the lighting looks good and be present and engaged on video. So at least they know who you are. And we're talking about doors opening, right? I, I've seen the direct product of, or the direct conse consequence of that when, you know, there, there's a lot of work I'm doing now that started after the pandemic started, right? A lot of work around diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of work around um, managing our, uh, you know, our um, infected cohorts in a safe uh, but productive way. And um, I've only gotten a chance to interact both one-on-one -on -one in group settings and in group settings with our senior executive team since the pandemic started, right? So the way that I'm engaging online and digitally around very, very, you know, top priority issues is getting me the attention and you know, the, the, the doors open um, of very, very uh, attention of and doors open by, you know, very, uh, um, you know, uh, influential and, and just significant people in our village. And it's not about status or recognition. It's about what I can do with my energy. Right. And if I'm working hard for any organization, I want to make sure that the output of my work is aligned to the causes that are important to me. So, um, yeah, that's one tactical example. There's a lot that you got to think about, but um, I don't know what your listeners environments look like maybe video chat just isn't a thing but i want you thinking about how you can demonstrate leadership in every single thing that you do despite the new normal that we're under right now fair enough fair enough so the concept of building wealth what are some common misconceptions that you you have like you hear people saying about around building generational wealth that you hear a lot yeah. Um, so, I mean, let's first talk about what generational wealth is, right? Because it's, it's kind of catchphrasy. And um, again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a stickler for communication because if we don't know what we're talking about, then why are we talking? Um, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So just so we're aligned on, on a common definition, generational wealth is wealth that transcends one, one generation. Now, ideally, um, because the way money grows because of the rule of compounded interest, which I can explain, Ideally, your money grows exponentially and, you know, it never pivots back down. Um, but definitionally, we'll say it transcends at least one generation. So you're building wealth that ensures that you 
and the generation of people living after you can tap into that wealth. They can spend it if they want. Hopefully they don't. Um, they can save it if they want. Hopefully they don't. Uh, they can invest that in more generational wealth for, for subsequent generations, which hopefully they do. So with that definition, um, I'll talk about a few, um, you know, misconceptions that I, that I hear. And, and, you know, there are, um, you can, and, and uh, frankly should be on both sides of these spectrums. Right. And, and, um, you know, you asked about misconceptions. I think about them as mindsets, right? Because there's always truth to, you know, any, you know, um, preconceived notion, right? It's your experience. I can't tell you that you don't believe that you shouldn't believe that. And I also can't tell you that every single time you do this input, you're going to get that output, right? There's always some, you know, personal nuance to it. So we'll call them mindsets, right? And it's okay to be on either side of this mindset, but I'd, I'd like to, um, you know, explain what some of the common ones are and how I help people, you know, why it's important for me to shift people's mindset to the other side of the spectrum. Uh, one is that I have to pay down my debt first, right? Uh, debt can be a good thing. Not all, not all debt is a good thing. So you've got to be strategic about how you pay down your debt. But a lot of us, especially those in our community, um, especially those of us whose you know parents came from abroad, and I'm assuming yours did the same, um, and kind of stressed or emphasized the importance of saving, right? Which is important because stability and structure were and are required for our communities because we are so stressed and, and stretched and, and um, not supported by our social nets. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have that, that mindset naturally, right? I need to save all my money, then I got to pay down my debt. So I'm free. I'm financially free, right? That's a phrase that a lot of people love saying, you know, Warren Buffett, um, one of the richest men on, on, on earth, he has debt, right? He's not financially free. And the organizations that he invests in also have significant amounts of debt. So debt should be a tool that we use to create generational wealth, not baggage that we have to free ourselves of in order to create generational wealth. That's one. Uh, two is that you have to luck into it, right? Yes, chance is in, involved with this, right? Like you can win the lottery and create generational wealth that way. Um, you know, you can strategically invest and find a unicorn and create generational wealth that way. But not all generational wealth has to be luck. Right, you can control it. You can study it. There's an academic, scientific way to invest that definitionally builds generational wealth. Right. Um, so, you know, when I work with people on investing, and I um, I get the sense that they're looking for that one stock, or they're looking for the way to multiply their their investment by x fold. Right. Like that's not what I'm doing. That the, that suggests that there's a mindset that you want to strike gold and get lucky. No. Let's spend the time building a sophisticated strategy that balances risk and reward and, and, and diversifies. Uh, and, and that is the academic way that you will build generational wealth. And then the third thing that I'd say um, is a mindset shift um, that I really, really push my clients to do. And I just had a great working session around this mindset just last week is that uh, investing should be solely financial, right? I have a framework called my uh, PP three framework, peak performance three. And there are uh, three ingredients that, um, you know, a part of the recipe for peak performance core. That's your purpose strength. Um, those are your, you know, experience, uh, your expertise, your skills, your attributes, uh, and then endurance. Those are, um, you know, maximizing your time, energy, and money, the resources that you need to maintain peak performance for an extended period of time. Now, um, 
you know, at the intersection of two of those things, if you envision them being on a Venn diagram, core intersects with strength and strength intersects with endurance and endurance also intersects with core. Now, endurance is about generational wealth, maximizing your money, not just in this generation, but beyond. Core is about purpose. There are a lot of people that don't connect those two. They just want to find their unicorns. They just want to throw all their money in all these businesses that are headed by CEOs and founders who don't look like us and are not in the interest of protecting us or uplifting us or empowering us or giving wealth to us, but we just want to make money off of their money, not understanding that we're giving them money so they can carve off money off the top and give us some of the profits, right? So there is a strong intersection between your endurance, which is maximizing your money, and your core, which is the drivers of your meaning, your values, your purpose, your mission, right? And at the intersection of those two things, it's how you invest. It's where you invest, right? Is it just a transaction or are you trying to find ways that you can add value into the investments that you're, that you're making, right? Are you deciding to invest in a neighborhood that's gentrifying and pushing a bunch of your people out? Are you trying to invest in a neighborhood where the houses are appreciating, but you're creating affordable housing, for, you know, black and brown brothers and sisters who need it, right? So that's the intersection of investing in core. And I think those three mindsets, I try to push people away from, I'm investing just to make money. So I'm investing to build generational wealth for me and my community. And my community, you know, for better or for worse in the United States of America, you know, is largely comprised of people who look like me because we are, I don't love this part of America, but we are a divided country, All right, We're more united, we're, we're more divided than we're united. So, you know, back to my earlier point, you've got to create a product or service for your community because you know those people are going to invest back in you. And it's not to say that you need to drive, um, you know, a, um, a separation between your community and others. I, I happily and regularly serve people outside of my community, but um, I'm most energized to support people in my community. And, and I know that they're most energized to do the same with me. So, um, yeah, just sync up your investments with your core and uh, know that you can get filthy rich and pass that on to your community at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Powerful stuff. And one thing I want to touch on too, your strategies, your strategy is solid, but you know, let's say you're, I mean, not even young, but just you're, you're living in a world, but this world that we live in, there's information everywhere, right? You got Grant Cardone telling you this, you got Gary V telling you this, you got, you got Tony telling you this, you know what I mean? You got Warren Buffett saying this. With all this information out there, how do you keep your head straight and, and focus on, okay, this is the best strategy for me to build generational wealth? From a financial standpoint? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that this answer is satisfying to you, but um, I, uh, I have a sneaky suspicion that it won't be because it isn't satisfying to a lot of people. Um, I'm minimalistic and I'm simplistic when it comes to investing, right? And I firmly believe, let's forget about dollars right now, right? Let's forget about money. Let's just assume investing was an exercise that you did to make things better, right? Now, the outcome of investing is money and that's what people fixate on. But what you're actually doing when you think about it is you're putting money into something to make it better. Whether it be real estate, you buy a house, you rehab it, you're making it better, you've invested and you can, take, you, can, you can transact on that and take money. There has to be a transaction, right? For you to get money and people focus on that. But you forget about the fact that you're making it better. If you're investing in the stock market, you're giving these companies money. If you're investing in the bond market, you're giving these companies money so they can do things better, right? So the first step of investing is acknowledging that you are 
giving a resource to something so it can improve with the hope that you can return value on that investment. Right? So for me, I'm not, it's, it's, if I'm putting money somewhere, right, one of three things has to be true, right? Um, it's either got to be completely passive and I just believe that that money is going to grow. For example, I put a lot of money in the total stock market uh, index funds, right? Because I just believe that the United States economy is going to continue for the foreseeable future, at least, being a strong economy, even if there are recessions or many recessions or, or tanks, um, it will go back up. So I'm putting my money in a fairly safe place, right? That's United States economy. Um, but it's passive, right? I, I'm giving the United States money because I'm a citizen. I want to make it better. And I believe that I'm going to get value back to myself if I make that thing better. But the first step is acknowledging that I'm trying to make the U.S. better by throwing my money into super diversified total stock market index funds. Now, the second reason I invest is if someone gives me inside information about a company. And to be honest, I don't invest that way, right? But I'm just, I'm creating a framework that um, hopefully creates a mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive set of things for you to consider that helps you understand why I'm simplistic and minimalistic when it comes to investing. So that second category doesn't exist, right? But if I took inside information and invested, it would be because now I have reason to believe this company, this specific company will be better. Right, like my inside information on America is that I believe in it, um, but I can imagine a world where if I had information and, and wanted to invest my money, it would be because I believe that information told me that particular investment would do better. And the third and really only way that I actively invest is if I can influence the outcome of that investment. Right, so I want to make it better. We know that, right? Because I'm willing to take my dollar and put it somewhere. But is that the only way I can make it better? Can I make a connection? Can I make a suggestion? Can I give some feedback? Can I be on the board of directors? Can I be an executive sponsor? Um, you know, can I buy your product and actually use it? So that's where the community aspect really matters. I have access to my community, so I'm investing in my community. So why would I follow anyone else's advice when they can't replicate my experience, right? The only advice I'm going to follow is fully diversify right? Like if, if you believe in that market, I believe in the United States market. So I don't care what Gary V or anyone's telling me, right? I'm just going to invest in the you know, US market because I believe in it. And if you believe in a different market, emerging markets is another one I believe in. If you believe in a different market, invest there. Don't do insider trading, rule number two. And third rule is put all of your money and time and energy and passion into things that you want to be better because I bet you they will get better if you're not simply putting your money, but you're putting all those other things. So um, I transparently, I don't spend a lot of time researching the right investment strategies or methodologies. Um, I, that's a fairly simple framework that I employ uh, to invest both on and off the market and it's paid tremendous dividends. I love that you said that, man. I love that. I, um, I took an investment course earlier this year um, and one of the, the teachers in that investment course, he said something profound because he used to be an investor in Berkshire Hathaway and he went to Warren Buffett's meetings and Warren Buffett, he, and he, he only invests in things that are very, very simple, right? He takes time. He's been doing this for 60 plus years. And someone said to him, Warren, why don't people do this strategy, you know, more often? And he simply said, people just don't want to get rich slowly. Right. And, and that's why I love that you said that because it's, it's a yeah. long process. 
It is. And, and that's generational wealth, right? Like the reason why, um, you know, the, the Rockefeller family or the Trump family or, um, you know, any of these, you know, uh, royal or rich, wealthy generational families um, are so are household names and recognized so widely is because it took a long time to get there. Right. When Rockefeller was first Rockefeller, nobody was worried about that. No one believed him. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I my premise. Right. Um, and and the, the core um, kind of tenet of my strategy is that I'm going to be employed for the foreseeable future. I love my job at DaVita. I don't plan on leaving DaVita. And if I did, I would probably go somewhere else because I really love the, sh- the, the, the stability um, and the safety of working with an employer that's giving me an honest salary to cover all of my expenses. That's investing in my future through a 401k match um, that is giving me health insurance for me and my dependents. So I don't have to worry about it. So, you know, I'm in, I'm good today. You know what I mean? And not everybody's there. So then we got to worry about the professional skills you need to develop and the professional mindset shifts you need to make so that you can be good with your employer. If that's the, the, the path that you want to take and, and the coaching that I do around there, it allows you to invest for the long term. But once you're good and you have the income that you think isn't going anywhere and you're thinking about managing your expenses, but also leaving room for paying towards the investing towards the future, then when investing becomes all about the future. And my definition of future might be different from yours. Some people want to retire at 40. Some people want to retire at 65. Um, but I think, it, you know, being comfortable not striking gold and getting a 100x multiplier on your you know, investment in a year is, is the foolproof way to build generational wealth. Right. Because all these people that get rich quick. Right. You can build wealth that way. Right. But if you're not sound in what you're doing with that and maximizing the your 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 um, maximally leveraging compounded interest, you could spend all the money you step into. That's not generational wealth. That's your generational wealth. (laughs) So it's not just about getting rich. It's about the mindset that says I'm playing the long game and I'm always going to invest in assets and, and only pay liabilities with my surplus. All right, and that is the long game. Powerful stuff. So I want to, and I don't know if you can, if you can pinpoint it exactly because you've worked with hundreds of, of high impactors, but what are, what's, can you think of one student who just, or one client who blew you away where it was like, wow, this dude is crazy. I'm learning so much from him or her. Yeah. yeah um, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, all of my clients are awesome. So it's actually, it's quite hard to, to, um, to answer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's one client that I'm working with now. Um, I won't share her name, but if you're interested, uh, drop me a message after I could connect you with her. She might be interested to get on your podcast. Um, but I'm working with her and, um, she came to me earlier this, um, spring, um, and came to me just interested in investing, right? She was like, Hey, help me invest. And and we did a a mini program about investment strategizing, put her on her way. I was like, yep, that was great working with her. She's going to do well. Kind of forgot about it. Right. And we kept in touch, right? We follow each other on Instagram. I checked up on her from time to time, but you know, I thought she got what she needed and she'd be good. And a few weeks after that, she connected me with a cousin who was looking, seeking to get into, um, um, college. And, And we spent some time redoing her, um, uh, essay and, and you know, storylining and talking about top-down communication and interview prep and sent her on her way and thought I'd never hear from them again, but you know, said, yeah, she's feeling good about herself. She's going to get into school. Things will work well. And a few weeks later, um, same client reached out to me again, the first one that had connected me with her cousin and said, hey, Tony, I want to take your accelerator program. 
And I was like, hey, you know, we, we've already worked together. You've already like spent all this time and money and accelerators, like one third investment strategizing. Are you sure you need it again? And she was like, yeah, I want, I want to take it again. And she trusted me. And she joined this program. Uh, there were 15 of us that joined. She was one of them. She'd already done about one third of the content. Um, she could teach that one third of the content, but she took the program, came along for the journey. And when I tell you that like her mindset has completely shifted that to the point where I'm now surprised <laughs> at some of the stuff she's doing, I expected to kind of send her off in the world for her to flourish. And we'd maybe keep in touch. Um, but now we talk multiple times a week. She started a business um, in New York. Her and her husband you know, bought a business and are running it. She started investing in futures contracts on top of the um, secure investment strategy that we put 401k and IRA and 529 and um, diversified mutual funds and bonds. She's now getting into futures contracts and making real money off it. Um, she's you know, investing in other businesses both with her money and her, I mean, black owned businesses and creating a community of excellence, like literally changing lives of people in her community. Um, you know, simply because she's, she's hungry to win. Right. And, um, I, uh, in these days, I spent a lot of time thinking about her and, and just thinking about the transition she's made, the transformation she's made from when we first started working together to now, um, she's, she could teach everything that I teach and just create another generation of peak performers um, through her own network and community. And it's just so phenomenal seeing her show up, just not in our classes, but in her life. And um, I've seen nothing but positivity despite what life throws at us, um, nothing but positivity from her since we started working together. So that's what I mean when I talk about you know, peak performers that want to change the world, that want to build generational wealth, that want to live the lives they choose Right. And um, it's just been so impressive working with her. So that's the one that came top of mind. But honestly, bro, there are endless stories of clients like that who I now learn from and get inspired by because that's what it's all about. Right. Birds of the same feather. Absolutely. So, Tony, what's next for you? Yeah, really good question. Um, I don't know, man. I um, I'm loving life. Um, my wife and I have worked hard for years and we're now at the point where we can not sit back and relax. We're still very hungry and working quite hard on, on all of our endeavors, but we can enjoy the fruits of our labor. Um, so I think what's next in the highest sense, highest level um, is just enjoying, continuing to enjoy time despite the world that we're living in um, with my, my family and uh, continuing to find ways to add value to the you know, people and organizations around me. So ask me in six months what I'm doing, <laughs> but um, I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like, but um, you know, you guys can find me on uh, Instagram, Dr. Underscore T-O-N-E, on LinkedIn, uh, Tony Awojadu, A-W-O-J-O-O-D-U. My email address is info at tonespass.com, T-O-N-E-S-P-A-S-S.com. Uh, and my website is www.tonespass.com. So keep up <laughs> if you feel like I could bless you in any way or vice versa, uh, reach out. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way to answer your question, Kobe. I don't know exactly what's next, but um, it will involve enjoying time with my family and continuing to sow into others. Absolutely. And we're, we're going to drop, we're going to drop those in the, um, in the show notes as well. So no need to, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to drop in all your information. Well, don't worry. I was going to say it like three more times. So everybody caught it. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. I love guerrilla marketing. Let's do it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> all right. Excellent stuff. Thank you. 
This is the Purpose Round, where entrepreneurs, creatives, and social impactors are asked a series of questions that highlight their true purpose. So welcome to the Purpose Round, where we ask the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind our entrepreneurs and their journey. So Tony, what is your purpose? Wow, um, it's a loaded question. Um, My purpose is to make everyone around me the best version of themselves through problem solving, communication, and helping you maximize the utility of your resources, your time, energy, and money. So that is my purpose. I do it with my daughter. I do it with my wife. I do it with my boys. I do it with my clients. I do it with my coworkers, even my dog. She's going, she's going to learn how to uh, unlock her full potential in, in her pooping and, and walking that we do. So yeah, I mean, that, that's my purpose. And that's when I feel most, uh, most fulfilled. All right. And what is the key everyday habit that you do to fulfill your purpose? Yeah. Um, I think, um, so I'll just give you kind of an, an all the time habit and then I'll give you like an actual, um, you know, tactic that I do. Um, so everything's on my calendar. That's the tactic. Every single day I make sure at the beginning of the day while I wake up, I grab some coffee, kiss my wife, chill with Amari, but I do a calendar review before the day gets started and at the end of the day. So I know exactly what's coming up the next day. I know if I need to prep and when I need to prep, I know what's coming up the following day. So it's not just a calendar review of the day, you know, it's of the next phase, right? Whether that be two days or a week. So that's a daily um, tactic that I employ to make sure that I'm spending my time in the right places. If I see a lot of time in meetings, I know that I've got to take some stuff off, off my plate and create some thinking time or some fellowship time or some exercise time. So I do that kind of proactively and consistently. And then I'd say the ongoing answer is uh, I'm consistent, right? I try to show up the way I show up, um, you know, in all interactions. And it's a lot easier for me to not think about how my energy is manifesting in the world and just doing it. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, um, I just, I'm consistent. I, I am who I am and I try to show up the same way, um, doing the things that are part of my purpose um, all day, every day. Got you. And if you could have a conversation with one person living or dead, who would it be and why? Well, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, my mom says I remind him, I remind her of him a lot. Never got a chance to meet him, but he created a dope woman who created me. Um, and uh, I just love to, you know, pinpoint the the commonalities that we share um, to understand a little bit more of my lineage. Um, I think I'd love to do that with many other grandparents, but that's one in particular, um, given how much my mom says I um, remind her of him and the fact that I never got to meet him, that I would love to, you know, take out uh, coffee or maybe hookah uh, in this day and age. <laughs> right. And if you only had $100 right now to build your own business from the ground up, how would you leverage that? Uh, I'd invested in Tones Pass. It is the most um, impact-oriented, fast-growing, uh, transformative business, and, and and people don't know that yet. But um, I believe in myself, um, and that money is going to flow to impact in my community, and my conti- community is going to continue to prosper, and we're going to take the the world by storm. So, um, yeah, that hundred is going back in my business and and finding ways to um to impact the lives of the people I want to serve. Absolutely. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received. Um, recently. Um, so I, I, I oftentimes can come across as hyperbolic because I use words like that's the best or this is the greatest a lot. So 
Um, I'll just caveat this by saying I haven't really thought about this question. This might not actually be the best advice I've ever received, but some really, really, really good advice that I received recently and now is on my mind is from a mentor of mine who's um, the chief human resources officer of a large um, international company. And uh, we work together in a few professional settings and he's uh, since then become a mentor and even sponsor of mine. And we connect from time to time. And we were talking about a, a work opportunity that had come up and just wanted to get his uh, perspective on it. And his simple advice, which I took, and I'm really, really appreciative that I took, um, was to go where the impact is. And um, to make that a little bit more real, um, I had a decision to make, and um, I wasn't sure how to make that decision. Uh, and it, it seemed like you know the outcome of both decisions would be quite good, and I couldn't fail on either, but I still, um, something was making me uneasy about making a decision that seemed like the right one on paper. And um, his advice was to go where I have the ability to make the most impact. And when I thought about where that is, where that was, the answer wasn't as obvious as I thought it would be. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in all I do, I'm going to take that advice with me because if I have the opportunity to impact two people in an incredible way, I'm absolutely going to do that over an opportunity to impact one. Right now, unless maybe that one person is like my daughter or my wife, you know, you gotta gotta take care of home. But um, yeah, I think it's just profound advice, and I'm gonna continue doing that and continue thriving. That's, that's a great message. I wrote that one down myself. List your top three most influential books. Ooh, um, I'll give you the ones I'm thinking about now. Um, so. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, unfortunately, I don't necessarily see eye to eye um, or I don't, I don't subscribe to all the beliefs of the author, um, but I won't color his great work too much based on my personal perspective on him now. But Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, of course, I talk about that book a lot. Um, a Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, talk about that book a lot too. It's a book about happiness, fulfillment, and how we are truly in control of it. Um, Third book, uh, Ben Carson's Gifted Hands. Again, that's interesting. Two out of my top three are people I don't subscribe to their beliefs around. But Ben Carson, uh, despite his flaws, is the first person I ever respected from a professional standpoint and really wanted to make an impact in um, my community. He's you know spent some time in Baltimore, but my community through you know, medicine and healthcare and, and technology. And um, just seeing his journey uh, becoming a neurosurgeon was just such an incredible thing for me to grow up with um, seeing that I, you know, uh, that there were black men out there doing things that um, I could one day be doing. So Gifted Hands, um, great story um, uh, from a man who accomplished a lot of things uh, before he turned into an Uncle Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Ben Carson. I got to love you, man, but come on, brother. <laughs> Tony, I, I love that you mentioned that too, because um, one of my, my, my older cousins who I consider a mentor as well, he told me that, the the most curious people are always the most knowledgeable people and you can learn yeah. something from anyone whether you think they are bad or good you can learn something from anybody oh, yeah. so you know you should never cut someone off just because you know you think what they're doing is morally wrong oh yeah because you can you can learn from them 100 fully agree so tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on true about business you said yeah, true about business that most people don't agree with you on. Um, 
true about business that most people don't agree with me on. Um, I think there should be more collaboration across competitors. I think um, all industries spend a lot of time doing phenomenal work in silos and that work might uh, translate to short term, you know, profit spikes because you're beating your competitors, but we don't spend enough time coming together talking about how we can make our workforces collectively better, how we can leverage synergies across our P&Ls, how we could collectively enter a market in a way that's safe and respectful and distributes power but maximizes impact. So, um, you know, I'm all for healthy competition, but um, I don't think a lot of people that actually think uh, business a lot realize the value that, that could come if competitors collaborated. That's an interesting perspective. I never heard that one before, but it makes too much sense. So is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Um, I, I like the one that you just teed up. Be curious, you know, be curious about the, the world around you, why things are the way they are, the people around you, how you can make them better. Um, you know, and, and, and just the universe in general, you don't have to pray to my God or subscribe to my principles, but um, you are here for some reason that is outside of you. Uh, and be curious about why that is, even if you never come to the ultimate answer. So yeah, be curious. All right. And how can the Purposeful Story family stay connected with you? Best way is probably on Instagram, Dr. Tone, D-R underscore T-O-N-E. And I won't repeat all my other social pages, but um, you can find me on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on, um, I got an email list and I you know talk to my community a couple of times a week. So um, yeah, I mean, if you uh, click the link in my Instagram bio, you'll be able to uh, really tap into um you know, my, my wealth of knowledge, but also a relationship with me. I, I'm responsive to any and everyone and just love learning about people and supporting them. So yeah, reach out. All right. Tony, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate you. Of course, man. Best of luck with this endeavor. Thanks for having me. All right. And All thank right. you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. This episode was brought to you by my senior editor, Podcast Doc, and the beats were created by DJ Nana. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. All it does is drive more listeners to the podcast as we continue to share more purposeful stories to your eardrums. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.